0: Welcome to the Michael Rothstein Show live from Regents Field, Ann Arbor's true sports bar at 204 Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Regents Field also happens to be the home of this podcast. Come on down and check out a future episode taping live here on Tuesday nights. I'm your host, ESPN reporter, world traveler, Grandma's Michigan, and Michael Rothstein. And this is a podcast where we discuss the Detroit Lions, the NFL, whatever else is going on in the world of football and even the world of sports. So we'll start here. After all the Darius Slay talk, after all the questions about a running back, what do the Lions do with the trade line, trade deadline? Yeah. Nothing. Nada. <laughs> Matt Patricia said Tuesday, "I like my team." When asked about not making a move at the deadline, and he said that a lot of teams stay put for similar reasons. Teams like what they have at this point of the year, and for a deal to be consummated, both sides have to feel there's a good reason for it to get done. And it's clear many teams around the NFL on this trade deadline just didn't feel that way. Only one real move was made. But as everyone knows, the big move that the Lions made was a week before getting rid of Quandre Diggs going to Seattle for a fifth round pick. So for the Lions and most other teams around the NFL on Tuesday, it just didn't seem like it was enough to play Wayne Brady and let's make a deal. Another important thing to consider here is asking price. Some of the deals done early on, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, Laramie Tunsil, Jadavian Clowney set target costs for players, and it was expensive. And there's no sense or feeling that that price went down at all, which is part of why Darius Slay is likely still a Lion. So with that in mind, the team wasn't willing to cash in what they need to in order to price Slay from Detroit. And that's okay, that's fine. Trading him would have been concerning for this season. And if the Lions do want to move on from Slay after the year, they'll still get value for him in February, April, or June. He's that good of a player, and he's still one of the top cornerbacks in the league even if he's not putting up the numbers he did a year ago or two years ago. Sticking with him keeps the Lions' defense intact. It also gives the Lions' John running backs, many of whom didn't really run well against the Giants, a vote of confidence. Speaking of which, you should feel good about the future potential of Ty Johnson, even though he didn't run well last week. I thought he got better as the game went on, and he did have two long runs called back through no fault of his own, and those would have changed those numbers for Ty Johnson, and I think it would have been a respectable day. All of that said, maybe this isn't the week to feel great about Ty Johnson, and we'll get into that with one of our guests, ESPN Raiders reporter Paul Gutierrez, a little bit later. Running back's position is, well, where you can find help on the street if you need it. There's talented backs still out there, even though the trade headline has come and gone, and more backs are going to become available. You watch the situation in Arizona for instance, where they're cycling through different guys and, oh yeah, they traded for Kenyon Drake. So someone else might become available here as well. Although maybe Chase Edmonds isn't going to be back so soon and we got to watch what happens with David Johnson. So there's a bunch of situations worth monitoring when it comes to running backs and the Lions will be able to find someone if they need them. So don't read too much into the Lions not making any moves. There's no real reason to fret. The Lions showed potential against New York and that's the biggest key. So... Now we'll get to the sit-up straight star of the week. That's Matthew Stafford. Stafford's playing at an MVP level this season, and Sunday against the Giants might have been his best performance. He threw for 342 yards, three touchdowns, an interception at a passer rating of 129.4. He's putting together some of the best numbers of his career this year, has rediscovered the long ball on Daryl Bevel's offense, and is the reason Detroit is still in playoff contention. I'll go one step further. Had the Lions beaten Arizona and Green Bay? He might be in the conversation for MVP. Depending how these next few weeks go, he may end up there anyway. But he's been phenomenal this year, and most people should realize that. Then there's the slouch of the week. And that's the Lions secondary. Yeah, it was a unit without slay and reeling from the loss of Quandre Diggs. But rookie Daniel Jones had a huge day. He threw for four touchdown passes, completed 28 of 41 passes for 322 yards, and kept the Giants in the game. They only got their hands on one of... On four of Jones's passes, although the Lions had seven overall, the secondary only had four, and they didn't turn them over at all. This, despite, for one of the few times all year, the Lions' defensive front actually got pressure on a quarterback. Trey Flowers showed up. Other players got there. Detroit has thrived on turnovers this season, and the secondary has been a big part of that. But Sunday against the Giants was not their best day. We'll be back with our guests right after this break. Lions offensive lineman Joe Dahl, and also ESPN Raiders reporter Paul Gutiérrez. Now I'd like to welcome my big guest today on the Michael Rothstein Show, Detroit Lions offensive lineman Joe Dahl. Dahl has been the starting left guard for the Lions all season long. He signed a contract extension earlier this summer, and now he's sitting here as actually my first Lions player guest on the podcast. Joe, welcome. Thanks for coming in.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: And let's really just start here. Let's jump right into this. It's obviously the most important topic that that probably Lions fans are are worried about right now. Matthew Stafford has Halloween party last night.
1: Of course. Of course.
0: Why did you guys go as team guy? All right. So just to fill people in, you, your fiance, Graham Glasgow, and his fiance went as basically team guy Fieri. Like, yes. Where
1: did that come from? Uh, we really got it from a video where there's, I don't know, 15 guys that are dressed as guy Fieri and they're all busting into a room and they're all yelling out, hi, I'm guy. <laughs> and... It really just came from that, and then uh, last year Rick Wagner was Sky Fury, and I knew he had the costume, and I'm relatively cheap, so I figured I'd just steal the costume from him, and then we'd roll from there. So it all started
0: with Rick, like did Rick did Rick do this again this year, like was it a whole <laughs> offensive line thing except for Taylor, or?
1: No, we I really wanted it to be the whole offensive line, but we couldn't get enough participation. I was kind of worried that it was going to look like uh, all four of us just kind of randomly showed up as Guy Fieri, especially if we were spread around the room. Uh, I was worried we weren't going to have enough participation for it to actually be a thing, but I think everyone understood that we did it on purpose.
0: All right, so, so, well, I mean, I think a lot of people are curious about the Stafford Halloween party because it's gone on for a few years now. Like, do you guys actually give out prizes for best costume, like, or is it just kind of like a thing, like...
1: Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure if there's an actual prize for it. There's an award given, for sure. Um, I don't really know if it entails anything, but, yeah, there's definitely... People go pretty hard on their costumes, and I think pretty much, for the most part, everybody does a good job.
0: Yeah, who, who do you think had the best costume? Because I think if you look on Instagram, like Lion's Instagram, I won't even call it Lion's Twitter. We'll call it Lion's Instagram. They It kind of blew up last night and this morning, as per usual from past years there Ty Johnson seemed like very elaborate like it might have took him like three days to do that yeah
1: yeah Ty's was really good I'm sure he was trying not to mess up his makeup all night too but um I think I think the Praters did a really good job as a couple um Prater was the classic no filter and then uh Katie had the the filter so it was was pretty funny They they were dressed as the same person but one of them clearly looked better than the other I'm assuming Katie looked better than Matt. Yes. Like we're just pretty safe <laughs> to say
0: there. So, uh, so two years ago, like, you actually bemoaned on Instagram about your costume sucking. Yes. I don't know if you remember that. or yes. not. Like, do you feel like this has improved? Yeah. Or like, yeah. is there like a level of like costume game? Like, does this get talked about in the locker room? Like, when the media is not in there, are you guys like, you know, man, I, I, my costume has to be better than this. Like, do you and Hannah, Hannah's your fiance? She's sitting uh, a little bit away from you right now, but like, you guys sit there and say, all right, we have to be better than last year. Like, this yeah. is a thing.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we've we definitely come up short a few times. But uh, I think that we've uh, grown as a couple every year. And to be honest, I give her no help whatsoever. So uh, that's definitely why we ended up as Guy Fury this year is because she wanted a little intel from me on what we wanted to be. So that's what I chose. Um, but I, I think we've definitely gotten better as the years have gone on. And uh, she does a good job. I, I just don't really contribute at all
0: so so guy Fieri was your idea yes so (laughs) hannah will like did you she i mean she's sitting here i kind of want to ask her but unfortunately there's not a mic right there like (laughs) did she put up any fight with this was she like we can do better
1: don't worry i can totally speak for her i know exactly what she's thinking (laughs) she uh she had her reservations let's say um but i think once she realized that she really didn't have to put on any makeup it really wasn't any effort whatsoever. And she actually got to wear her yoga pants that she was wearing all day. She came around and she realized that it was a comfort thing. And I think she had a lot of fun with it. And we were all in character all night.
0: I was say, co- comfort over costume. That's, yeah. it, to me, that, I've never been a big Halloween person. So that's definitely the way to go. Like, I was a golfer. And I mean, this is maybe too old for you. But like, Brandon Walsh from 902 and was able to pull that off. And that just really required wearing. Normal clothes and Andy Sandberg as well for a while I had longer hair. Yeah. Normal clothes, that's the costume. <laughs> That'd that's be good the one. way to go. Yeah. Super easy. So here's the deal. Like I think and this is part of why I wanted to have you on as my first guest, because I think there's a lot of people that don't know much about you. because you play offensive line. I mean, I went through seven, eight years of Nexus articles with your name <laughs> in it, of which like apparently there's a Lieutenant Joe Dahl somewhere, not oh, wow. you and and other people but i couldn't find much about you so what's what's one thing that people should know about joe Dahl? because i don't think that they know much as as your eyebrow raises like the (laughs) rocks eyebrow that's yeah
1: (laughs) yeah that's the thing is i'm trying to think of something that's actually worth telling i don't know i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty boring for the most part that's probably why you don't see a lot of articles out there um but I, i mean i think just as a position we just don't get talked about that much. You know, nobody really wants to know about the alignment unless they're messing up on penalties and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that's super interesting. Um, pretty standard guy. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's let's
0: jump right in here. Like, what was it like? So you're from Spokane, Washington. Yes. What was it like growing up in Spokane? We were talking about this a little before we came on air. Like, what's that like growing up in Spokane? Like do you automatically like b- by birth have to sign something or like put your baby stamp saying that you're a John Stockton fan <laughs> or like a Utah jazz fan? Like do you get taken to the kennel, which is Gonzaga is like transaction yeah. section about like <laughs> age three. But like what, so what's it like growing up in the
1: spoke? Uh, Gonzaga is definitely a enormous part of that city. Um, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Hannah actually went to law school there, so she knows all about the Zags. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely something that's uh, woven into the culture there. And uh, my my dad actually has a bunch of mutual friends with the Stockton family. So, I and I, I played uh, basketball growing up against uh, one of his nephews. So, there's definitely a, a bunch of Stocktons around, and it's definitely a part of the city. Uh, I played many games in the kennel. Um, there's a bunch of basketball tournaments there, so. Yeah, it was it was awesome though. I I can't even say that I ever went to a, a Gonzaga basketball game until I was in college though. So that was kind of weird. Wait, really?
0: You never went to a Gonzaga basketball yeah. game? Like, shouldn't that uh, like isn't that especially because you play basketball and you were yeah. pretty good? Like, isn't that a rite of passage? Like, you have to
1: <laughs> go to yeah. a Gonzaga basketball yeah, game. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I I don't. I never really went to any sporting events growing up for some reason. I'd never been to an NFL game until I was in one, actually. And uh, so that it, it just never happened growing up. And uh, I started to go when I was in college. When I, when I came back, I realized that it was a pretty cool thing that uh, a city like us had such a great team that, that was really widely respected every year. And uh, I decided that it would be a priority when I was back on Christmas break some years. So I started to go to some games.
0: So wait, so the first NFL game you ever go to is the one that you play in like yeah. preseason one 2015 yeah what's that like i mean like did you did you even i'm assuming you watched nfl games yeah on tv yeah like, absolutely so you never like thought like hey i'm gonna just take a trip out to seattle granted when you're in college that's yeah. probably hard but yeah. even as a kid like never take a trip out to seattle or anything like that just to kind of go no see
1: yeah it. I, I, it never really even crossed my mind actually I, I, it's kind of weird looking back on it because my, my parents are big sporting fans as well. They loved the Seahawks growing up. Uh, and they always wanted to go, I, I'm sure. But uh, it was just a little bit too far of a drive, I guess. We never really went to Seattle that much growing up either. So, uh, yeah, I, it was weird that it, it didn't really dawn on me until the day before the game, too. So,
0: Wait, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so what was that like? And I can't believe we were talking about this just now after four-plus years of the league yeah. for you. Like, <laughs> What was that like the first time you step was that i'm trying to remember i don't remember 2015 whether it was a home game or a road it was game a, it was in pittsburgh okay that's yeah so we had okay so what was that like i mean you step into heinz field like a fairly iconic yeah. nfl venue do you just i mean just say holy crap like i mean like what's that
1: yeah like? definitely um yeah the, the whole experience was really surreal i think it uh i'll remember it for the rest of my life obviously but i think it really helped calm the nerves that we were there all week doing joint practices uh otherwise i would have been uh, a little too nervous i think but uh it was it was just a completely different experience as a whole because i i didn't start that game obviously so it's you're just taking it all in on the sidelines you're looking around just uh enjoying this awesome stadium and uh yeah, it's definitely something I'll never forget.
0: So when you step out on the field for that first time, that first play, is your heart just like out of your chest? Like what's going through your head? Yeah because like you you take it's not like you're starting, it's not like you're in that mentality. You ha you're taking all of this in for a quarter, a half, and yeah. then you're out there. With what
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh yeah, it, it was I, I remember specifically that game, especially I mean we as athletes we try to you know narrow our focus and and never really look at the big picture while you're in the moment because at times you'll get overwhelmed i mean it's it's definitely something i worked towards my whole life uh i always wanted to play in an nfl game and uh i remember thinking while i was on the sideline of that game like this is it this is the moment and it's it was awesome to have it all pay off um and i i think i'll remember like almost every play of that game for the rest of my life do you
0: remember what the first play call that you were in was <laughs> no uh i, <laughs> so I everything
1: remember, but that <laughs> i don't remember the exact play call now because we call it something different now but i know uh that i actually messed up the protection and gave up a quarterback hit and then we actually had a pick six on that play so i'll remember <laughs> that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so really you're like you know what other than getting hurt, it could really only go up from there. Yeah, that that's kinda... right. Yeah,
1: I remember. I remember thinking that uh, it's definitely going to get better from here.
0: <laughs> so let, let's go back to the beginning a little bit. You're you're growing up in Spokane, and you end up going to Montana. How? I mean, because I ever the things I did read and yeah. what we have talked about in the past, like what Washington State seems like they were recruiting you, then they yeah. stopped, then they came on late. Yeah. So you go to Montana, then after a year, you go to Washington State. What was that? Whole yeah. thing. Like.
1: Um, so, growing up in Spokane, I mean, you're hour fifteen, hour and thirty minutes from Washington State. So obviously that was that was our hometown team. You know, Gonzaga doesn't have a football team. So you know, if you're watching football, you're watching Washington, Washington State. And my whole family was Kook fans. Um, so I, I watched, I don't know, hundreds of their games growing up. Uh, so I always wanted to go there. And once I realized that I I could play at that level. Um, I was really hoping that they would offer me a scholarship. Uh, I went down to a camp there before my senior year. Uh, I thought maybe that was the time to get offered there. Um, it didn't come through. I had a couple offers around the area uh, to Eastern Washington and then University of Montana. And at that time, uh, University of Montana was uh, about as good as it can get for the Big Sky Conference, which is, you know, FCS. Yeah. Um, so I, I was holding out waiting for washington state and it kind of dawned on me i didn't think they were going to offer me so i figured i would commit to montana i thought it was a great place um they were at the time a very good program um they had an awesome stadium and it was only maybe a three hour drive from spokane so still close to home but just far enough away that my parents couldn't come unannounced or anything like that (laughs) uh and it it was really just a great city as well and i I was excited to go there I, i had a couple of visits there, and I loved it. Um, and I went there, uh, and maybe two weeks after I committed there, actually, uh, Washington State gave me a call, and they wanted to offer me. But uh, I felt like once I had given my commitment to Montana, I should see it through. Um, and once I got there, uh, that's what I tried to do. But I didn't really enjoy it as much because I, I think in the back of my mind, I really want to go to Washington State because I always had dreams and aspirations growing up of contributing in some way, uh, maybe getting them back to a Rose Bowl or just winning some bowl games, just having a great time there. Um, So I I think at the back of the mind, that was just really eating at me. And I, that's what I told the coaching staff there. And I decided after my first semester there that I was gonna transfer.
0: So, I mean, is that, was it a pure football thing or was it just like, you know, like, I don't really like Montana, like, it's just not my thing. No,
1: no, Uh, I think honestly that, looking back on it that was that was a great situation for me um we had an awesome team we had a great support system uh th- some of the coaches there that i had were some of the best coaches that i ever had in my life um there was awesome people there i really enjoyed that city to this day i would love to go back there and visit sometimes i stop there when i'm driving back on the long <laughs> trek back west um but no it, it was an awesome place it was really just the fact that i couldn't let go of um kind of the the dreams that I always had growing up of playing as, as a Washington State cougar
0: so all right just so people know you it's not like you got a scholarship to Washington State when you transfer there yeah you say you had and you had a scholarship to Montana, correct yes so yeah. you give up a scholarship to go play d1 also yeah are your parents like <laughs> wait no like we like what because you you took out student loans right yes yeah
1: yeah no I, I remember the exact conversation when I first told them that I wanted to transfer. Uh, And I I know, looking back on it, my mom was super supportive, like she always is, and my dad, the first thing he says is, you know you're going to have to take out student loans (laughs) if you go there. So yeah, that was definitely something that was brought up pretty quick, and I think at the time, when you're 18 years old, you don't really understand fully what what that means, of taking on loans like that. Um, I'm really fortunate that, obviously, I've gotten to play in the NFL, and I've been in a position to handle those, but... Um, those things can really pile up on you. And luckily, I only had to do it for two years after that.
0: Yeah, it's funny, actually. I, so Jamal Agnew and Josh Johnson, who was only a forward team, they, Josh Johnson had them for like a decade. Jamal still has student loans from San Diego. Oh, really? Yeah, like I wrote about it in August. Like, do, when you took them on, did you say, okay, like, I have to have a plan to pay them off? Or like, when you come to the NFL, did you say, all right, I'm getting rid of this right away? Like- yeah.
1: Um, so, Yeah, like I said, when I was 18, I, I really had no idea I had no idea that you were accruing interest or accruing interest right when you take them on and I I really just didn't understand the the full uh I don't know the full gravity of the situation but definitely once I was 22 23 and I had experienced a little bit more and uh the first couple paychecks that I started getting with the lines I, I realized that I needed to handle those as soon as possible especially once I saw um, all the interest that had already accrued so yeah that was definitely my first priority and I, I used my signing bonus on those immediately
0: oh so you paid them off right away yeah so what's it like for you the day you get your scholarship at Washington State like how did they do it like Mike Leach seems like he's a character so <laughs> does he do it like in a special way or does he like make you dress up in a pirate costume like what happens no, how does this go
1: no actually uh I, I'm trying to think it was very nonchalant I remember coming back it was it was after uh, we had just gone to our, the first bowl game that we've been to in like 10 years the year before that and uh that whole season I was a walk-on um and then we got back from Christmas break and actually we were just having a meeting that's essentially a roll call just to check everybody or check that everybody's there and um I, I walked up to the front of the room and uh, our strength coach at the time Jason Lascalzo just told me that I, I'd gotten on scholarship and he gave me the papers to sign and that was it it wasn't wasn't a big thing in front of the team or anything like that I think I think Leach was actually out of town at that point he usually has a little little stay in Florida I think at that time of year so (laughs) yeah so I I saw him a couple weeks later and he told me congratulations and all that but
0: do you feel like you missed out because obviously now whenever any like walk on gets a scholarship it's like a huge thing and a viral video and they like do really weird stuff and like do you feel like man like that would have been really cool or oh
1: not at all not at all (laughs) it was perfectly fine for me to just get the scholarship I didn't I don't I'm not the type of person that would even enjoyed that
0: (laughs) so I have to ask this since we talked a little bit about about Mike Leach and you and I've talked about this before what's your best Mike Leach story
1: oh god it's, it's really tough because most of them are most of them are hearsay. I, I, I uh, lived with a quarterback in college and obviously Leach handles the quarterbacks. Uh, so I mean every day I got a new story when he came home. Um, there was I don't think there was ever a time where we started practice on time because normally he gets caught into a story time with the quarterbacks in the quarterback room and they come out 35, 40 minutes later <laughs> to practice. And then I'd have to ask him three or four hours later, hey, what were you guys talking about today? Um, but one of, one of the best stories is, and it, this just really sums the guy up, because he's, he's experienced so much in his life. He's actually a, he's a really smart guy. Um, he's a lawyer. Uh, when we went down to the Pac-12 media day before my senior year, um, I don't even know if we, we really spoke the whole time, because he's off doing interviews, and we're off doing interviews the entire time, but... We're we're sitting at a little Mexican restaurant at the airport on the way back, and somebody comes up to him because, of course, they recognize him. And they said they were former Texas Tech fans, but they stopped being once they fired him. And you know, so they're cutting it up about that. And then he said, "Oh, well, what are you doing out here?" Because we were in California, and and the guy says, "Oh, I was off uh, climbing this mountain." And Leach proceeds to tell him that he also climbed that mountain the year before. And then they—he uh, told him that the route that he took was not the correct route, and he should have taken, blah blah blah, in three days to go up. And it was just hilarious because, I mean, I would have never thought that Leach climbed mountains. I don't—I don't know what kind of mountain this was, but it was just funny because he's got he has got an experience and a story for everything.
0: So I mean, when he's when you're when he's telling the story, you and I'm assuming you had a couple other teammates there. Are you just like rolling your eyes? Are you just are you kind of caught up in this? Yeah. Like what's that?
1: No, I, I remember being really locked in on the conversation actually because I was just blown away that he had he had advice on on climbing a mountain in California. That's not something I would have figured he had experience on, but like I said, I mean, he's he's got a story for pretty much everything and the guy has experienced so much in his life.
0: You mentioned that Pac-12 Media Day, so uh, a former colleague of mine actually she's in Ann Arbor now too Chantal Jennings I don't know if you remember her or not she worked for ESPN but okay. you spent a day with her with Lord of the Rings oh yeah okay and yeah, yeah, yeah. like what was are you a big Lord of the Rings guy are you like no. I know you said that you were a little bit of Phoebe and a little bit of yeah, Ross and a little bit yeah. of Joey in that story no, like, so I'm,
1: yeah I'm definitely a friends guy that's for sure uh that's that's actually what drew me into it was uh because the Pac-12 Media Day is on this. What is it? Universal Studios. I think so. Yeah. There? Yeah, it's a, it's down at the studios down there. So you're around all these super famous sets the entire time, but you're not allowed to walk away more than 20 feet, otherwise you got some assistant yelling at you. So you're, you spend the whole time doing interviews the whole time. And then uh, we had a couple hours to kill on the back end, and she was nice enough to offer to show me a few things. So we went and looked at the the uh, the friends set up at the coffee shop and. Yeah, it's there's the picture. I'm it's showing like, him the pictures right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And you, we drove by where the actual set was, and they, we took a picture next to it. And uh, the rest of it, yeah, the, the Lord <laughs> of the Rings thing's funny. The optical illusion table. Uh, the rest of it was really just uh, we just walked in a loop, and they had a bunch of props set up. But it it was pretty cool to see a few things while we were there.
0: So, what your friends got now? Like, did that start because of that? No, no, that oh, okay.
1: was. I just remember, honestly, watching it um, every week as it came out when I was a little kid because my parents loved the show. So we would would have a little family time, and we would all be sitting on the couch together watching it, Um, and that's what first got me into it and then now we just we throw it on as white noise we just have right. it playing in the background all the time on netflix if, the, if we need something to just be playing that's what we put on
0: is that so that is that everybody has white noise like
1: mine's actually it
0: used to be hgtv but that's way too addictive. Yeah. so like yeah. it's the tennis it's channel tricky. now like so friends is your white noise now yeah. like if you're like watching you know film or whatever at home or studying yeah. in the playbook like you've got You know, like season three, episode five on Yeah. Do you ever get distracted by it? Like be like, Oh wait, this episode's good or like this is the Marcel (laughs) the Monkey plot line and just nah I'm gonna motor through this.
1: No, yeah, sometimes we we actually get pretty pretty distracted by it and uh we kinda lose track of it and we watch three or four episodes and then I I usually get pretty frustrated actually and then I turn to Hannah I'm like, Let's watch something we haven't seen ten times and (laughs) then we gotta fight over what we're gonna watch next and it you know, we just usually just come back to friends, it's just easiest. (laughs)
0: So, so, all right, so you, you know, you end up being an all pack 12 guy, you end up getting ready to go to the draft, you go to the combine, and then again, I don't know if a lot of people know this, you lived with Carson Wentz for a couple months, right? Yep.
1: Yep. What
0: was that like? Because you're a nondescript guard, mid-round guy, Carson Wentz is possibly going to be the number one pick number two yeah. pick in the draft what was that like living with Carson Wentz and, and like did you guys know each other beforehand like how does that happen
1: no yeah we we didn't know each other at all um, I, I remember our agents just came up with the pairing and they they thought that we were both hard-working guys and we got no linemen and we got a quarterback so we might as well just pair him up and uh, I remember I, I showed up a few days before him actually and uh, they, they hadn't told me who I was going to be living with, so I asked, and they said Carson Wentz, and I was like, "Where? who's that? And <laughs> it's like, oh, he's a quarterback at North Dakota State. I said, oh, well, North Dakota State's pretty good And there. I was like, where do you think he's going to fall in the draft? And they said, well, pretty firm that he's going to be a first-rounder. We'll see how high he goes, though. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I hadn't heard of him. Um, but honestly, it was a great time living together. Uh, he has incredible work ethic. I remember he was – I'm I'm a big early bedtime guy and I remember he would stay up late watching film every night e- even at that stage you know uh you're not even in season and he's just watching film 24/7 so he was he was an awesome guy super nice uh one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet I don't even know if he swears at all but he's was, he was an awesome guy to live with and uh, I definitely had no complaints with him as a roommate
0: Where where were you guys for those couple months
1: Uh we were down in Orange County uh what was the name of that city
0: was it anaheim santa Ana, newport oh yeah irvine (laughs) yeah she
1: remembers better than me i don't have great memory uh yeah we were down in irvine um so we yeah my agency's got their their whole headquarters set up right there and uh we would go to a local high school in the morning and go we'd have run groups and all that and then we'd go back to where our agency was actually set up and they were sharing a building with asic shoes and we'd go in there they had a great gym and um, we just go in there and get our workouts in, and then uh, do the rest in their offices and stuff throughout the day.
0: So, what would you guys do in your downtime? Like, would you guys go to these Disneylands, like, not too far from there? Yeah. And obviously, yeah. like, Angels games. Well, I guess the Angels probably weren't playing at that point, but, like, what are you guys doing in your downtime? Are you guys playing video games? Are you just reading books? Like, what do what you and
1: Carson Wentz, you just meet, do? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, honestly, he was so into the watch film and football and stuff. I, I really didn't spend much time with him outside of like the, the workouts and the the time at the office, because there'd be times where, you know, the, the rest of us would be leaving at 5. PM, you know, we're going to go down to the beach, get some dinner or something like that and unwind. And he's just staying there, just talking ball for five more hours. So uh, I didn't spend that much time with him. I know uh, we had three or four, Lineman there at the time and our big thing was all week because we were on a strict diet pre-draft um and all week we would we would talk about what we want to do for a cheat or cheat meal we we had a we had a three-hour window every week where we got to eat whatever, whatever we want so we would talk about that all week long and then save it for saturday night and we'd go and do that and that was our big highlight for the week did
0: you have a place that you went every Saturday or was it like it was different it was different every
1: week sometimes we would strategically plan it so we could hit three or four locations that were like within a mile together (laughs) and it was it was pretty disgusting some of the stuff we did (laughs) (laughs) so
0: I mean you and I have talked about this before I think I actually wrote about it your rookie year but you had to basically relearn how to play offensive lines oh yeah like Walk me through that a little bit. I realize this could probably be an hour-long conversation, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, Reader's Digest, walk me through what that's like because people saw you take in, in the mid-rounds. I don't think a ton of people maybe here knew who you are because, you know, Pac-12 after dark yeah. and the yeah, whole deal.
1: Yeah, we were playing some play games out there. <laughs> so
0: what's that? And then you didn't play for a couple years. Yeah. Like, what was that like having to actually relearn playing offensive line in the NFL?
1: Yeah, it was, it was exhausting at first. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just kind of sucked that the, the, the five, four and a half years I spent in college really uh, perfecting whatever I was taught it really didn't translate over to anything. Uh, and that was really frustrating to me, but uh, it just took a lot of effort. Um, I always thought that I was a relatively smart person, but I, I didn't realize how dumbed down everything had been for me in college. Uh, and I, ne- I never expected to have such a transition in terms of playbook uh and I don't I don't think we have any more difficult offense than anybody else in the NFL but it was it was definitely a learning curve just um just dealing with different formations I mean I never even had tight ends or fullbacks in college so I, I never had more than a 5 or 6 man box um so just IDing defenses was was tough at first uh and it took a lot of effort um I'm lucky that I had a, a lot of good help along the way um It's been awesome, honestly, having Graham around all these years because he's such a smart guy, and their college or their college offense was pretty pro level. So he already knew so much of it going in that he was a huge resource for me to lean on the whole time, and still is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, other than that, I mean, physically, almost nothing translated over. So I had to relearn. I'd never had any time in a three point stance in college. I mean, we did it occasionally in practice, but we never used it in a game. uh, it, it took me i don 't know six months after getting here until I was comfortable in a three point stance, which is something that i 'm sure a lot of people take for granted, so yeah, it, it was definitely a transition uh, I went I changed positions, uh, eventually started learning center so yeah they, I think it took me a long time, but I think that um, my work ethics helped me along the way Do you think that I mean when you say it took you
0: a long time how, when do you actually think you felt comfortable? Playing I mean, you said six months for a three yeah. point stance, but comfortable and like yeah, comfortable when like I don't know, I mean Snacks Harrison's lining up against yeah. you or you yeah. know, Geno Atkins or something like that, it's, are two different things. When do you feel like you're like Alright, I can not get run over
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think I think for me it was honestly until my my second year, um, that whole off season I focused on getting bigger and getting stronger and I think that helped me a lot and then um By the time the season rolled around, I I was finally comfortable enough with uh, all the playbook stuff and what I needed to do technique-wise that I was confident in what I was doing pre-snap. So that that helped me a lot. And uh, I think by the time that preseason rolled around, I was starting to feel like I I could play in the NFL and be a good player. Uh, And then it was kind of tough. I had that setback being on uh, injury reserve that year. So that kind of set me back again. But... um, yeah i think i think my second year is kind of when it started to started to click for me and then ever since then it's just been slowly improving
0: was was Graham maybe your biggest help in all of that because yeah. i mean you came in too when a whole bunch of people that whole, i think what half of that line was new yeah that year because yeah. they were transitioning from yep. you know like the riola sims and all that to yeah. to what you guys are now like so was Graham your biggest help or were there other people that kind of I'd say
1: yeah I'd say he was probably the biggest one just because he was so available to me you know we we lived together uh our our first year um we were always around each other when we we, when we went out to hang out we were always around each other so I always had him there for me but yeah I mean obviously the guys that were older than us were awesome helps as well um Travis Swanson really comes to mind He was a great help for me um Gabe Eichert as well who didn't stick around long after that but it was such a huge influence on me that uh that preseason um those guys were great and it's always it's always a good thing to get help from the centers because they usually got their head on pretty straight and they know what they know what's going on in the offense so I, I always tried to look to those guys I mean your locker was super close
0: to them but like is there ever a point where like Travis especially because he's trying to you know he had a rough rookie year and then he's trying to learn it too is he ever like man kid just, just listen just <laughs> go Go the hell away, man! Like no,
1: no, I I loved Travis. Uh, I mean, any, anything that I could absorb from other people's experiences or uh, anything that they they knew that I didn't, uh, I was I was eager to learn. Um, and he was a really good influence on all of us. I think when we were very young players. Did you ever have any doubt that it would
0: work? Like, were there times where you're like, I know the NFL career is three years. <laughs> I'm coming in so far behind.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, if, if I'm being honest with you, I think my first year when I when I first got here, I didn't I didn't realize how far behind I was going to be, um, and I I definitely had my doubts. But uh, all I could do was work as hard as I could, and that's that's what I decided I was going to do. Um, but yeah, I think definitely that first year when I realized uh, how different my college setup was from what everybody else was dealing with, I, I felt like I was. A little panicked to start to learn things
0: uh and then so you finally play you know and you're starting to get some time and you're this utility guy and every coach that you have from Caldwell to Patricia to your offensive line coaches all rave about you and then you play fullback last year yeah. a little bit like <laughs> what's that like are you sitting there being like you want me to do what like are you all of a sudden like oh you know what I'm gonna be a I'm going to be like Fridge Perry. Like, yeah. I'm going to be the biggest <laughs> fullback ever. I'm going to position switch. Screw this. Yeah.
1: Like. Uh, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't totally surprised from it because there had been a couple times in years past that uh, we had put in packages in practice that had never come to life in games. So I, I'd done it a few times, so I wasn't totally uncomfortable with it. But, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shock at first, but I was, I was really excited to just get on the field again and contribute in some way to the team. And honestly, it it was pretty exciting and pretty cool to be a fullback. Uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, You have some of the bigger hits on the field, but uh, I I really felt like I was contributing on each play. Uh, I was definitely a little worried at first that I was going to have to handle the ball in some capacity, and I I really didn't want to have to do that. So I'm really glad that it worked out that I was just blocking.
0: So wait, are you like the first offensive lineman in history to not lobby for the ball in that position then?
1: (laughs) I think so. I think I'm just – Understanding of my abilities, uh, I, yeah, I, I knew that I wouldn't go too great. Uh, my hands are a little too taped up on, to be catching balls or anything did like that. Did they ever call? <laughs> did
0: they ever call a play for you
1: where actually you were supposed to get the ball and it get checked out of? Like was there <laughs> ever that? Like no, like, I, don't, I don't think we even we even flirted with that scenario i think like some of the some of the, even the past plays that i was in they just told me hey if you want to just stand on protection just go ahead
0: so did you you never caught
1: a pass or anything like that like, no.
0: or i mean no i mean like even in practice like did they no, ever pass you in practice
1: no not really in in a play situation but we definitely worked on it uh, in some individual periods just to see where i was at and i think maybe that's what tempered their expectations so there was no jealousy
0: when taylor decker caught a touchdown last year. no no absolutely not (laughs) uh so i I, in digging to for this interview you had long hair at one point right i did why where'd it go why why (laughs) i mean like you know like locks out of like a helmet for an offensive lineman is kind of a thing like it it gets you noticed as we were talking about like when did you cut it why like was this like a a girlfriend mandate no no so I was
1: single at the time actually uh and it took it took so long to grow it um that was the really frustrating point is when I cut it off I kind of I had a couple moments of regret but there's it took me two years to get it to a point where it was even respectable uh, I yeah, I I basically just did it because I thought it looked cool. Uh, and it was really some good looking hair. Like it had great volume. She knows she knows that I have great hair. Uh.
0: Just for for the record, she is shaking her head, yeah. no, vehemently, <laughs> yeah. like
1: rolling her eyes she, the whole thing. She definitely prefers it short. But uh, yeah, I I'm trying to think of the exact reason I got rid of it, but I'm pretty sure it was just uh, a couple of me and my buddies just got together one night after a couple drinks and just shaved it off. So there was no, like, donation to Locks of Love. There was no, no actual yeah.
0: plan with any of this. You're just, like, drunk one night being like, you know what? I'm getting rid of this hair. Like, the way, do you wake up? Like, you know, there's always the walk of shame that people talk about from college. Yeah. Like, Do you wake up and being like, look around the floor,
1: see your hair everywhere? I'd be like, oh, no. No, yeah. I, I didn't regret it too much. I was I was really excited for the change at the time. But there was definitely some moments where I'd, I'd flash back to it and be like, wow. I wish I still had that but there's no way I'm ever going back because it takes way too long to grow it out
0: so is that a mandate now from your fiance
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah she, won't, she, she won't let me have long hair. <laughs> she's shaking her head. No,
0: that's never happening. Yeah. And, and we've we've mentioned Hannah a few times. Yeah. What? How did you meet? Because I mean, you got. She's been on your Instagram feed yeah. here and there, and obviously when you proposed, like that was on your Instagram feed. Like everybody in the world. Yeah. No offense, but yeah. like, so how did you guys meet? Like, walk me through that. Walk me through the engagement. Kind of take me through that.
1: Uh, so we met. We we had a bunch of mutual friends growing up. We knew of each other. Um, Spokane's like a big enough city where you can not know somebody but you definitely know of them Um, pretty much everybody has mutual friends of some sort so uh, I was actually back uh, my first off season and uh, one of my friends was seeing a roommate of hers so we met through mutual friends Uh, I was just meeting up with my friend one night and he said that he would happen to have uh, a girl with him and she had a roommate and we got introduced and we really hit it off And the rest is history, as they say. But um, we got, yeah, we got engaged in June, right? Yeah. Sometimes I mess up. I was gonna say, (laughs) Hannah is nodding,
0: so Joe is not going to get in trouble later. That's important.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we got we got engaged in June. Um, I asked her at uh, so her family has a lovely lake place, and it's in northern Idaho on Priest Lake, and. Uh, we would spend some time up there in the summers. We went up there a few times in the winter as well. And I knew that was a really special place to her. So um, I think maybe a year in, I realized that when I ask her, I'm going to ask her up here. So um, that's where I did it. Uh, we had we just gotten our puppy, and the little guy would not sleep at all. So we were getting up every day at 5 a.m. And I knew nobody else would be up at that hour. So uh, I told her family that I was going to just take her on a hike or a drive or something like that and ask her. And by the time we got back, you'd know if she said yes or not. (laughs) Uh, so we were up, we were up to five and, uh, you know, I said, well, if, uh, we're not going to get any sleep, we might as well go do something. So, we just got in the car and we drove to the top of a mountain that kind of overlooks the, the lake and I thought it was gonna be super romantic and we got up there and it's June and it's snowing on top of this mountain. Uh, so you can't see the lake at all. And I'm, I'm kind of panicking and wondering if I'm still gonna ask and uh, I just decided that uh, gone through all this effort I think we can make the most of this situation and I asked her and she said yes.
0: So when did you know? Like, like you said, a year in you kind of were like, I'm going to do this up here. Like, did you know well before then?
1: Yeah, I'd say probably about a year in I, okay. I knew, but you know, sometimes you just got to make them wait. So they're really <laughs> sure that they're going to say yes. I think you that might have was just gotten thing. in trouble. <laughs> I just wanted to know that I was going to get the answer I was looking for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you uh, take questions from listeners throughout this throughout the show at different points a uh, question I got from multiple listeners that's part of why I didn't bring it up at all but it's the obvious question I think for you this year what's up with the rotation at guard <laughs> and do you prefer it would you rather be on the field why is it happening
1: like do you seek answers from this like <laughs> no see so'm I'm, I'm definitely the type of person that just accepts authority and so I, I really don't I don't ask um, honestly I, I don't think it Helps or hurts me in either way. Um, I think Jeff has decided that that's what's best for us, and that's good enough for me, honestly. Um, I think we have three good guards in our room. Uh, I think Kenny's a good player, Graham's a good player, and uh, the way it's been pushed to us is it's just going to help us in the long term. And uh, if it helps us stay a little fresh or um, gives the defense a little different look, then. Uh, I'll be uh, I'll be for it.
0: Did it take getting used to? Just because I mean that's something that as we yeah. all know, <laughs> anyone who watches football, that's like offensive line that never happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it definitely took a little getting used to um but honestly, I think after maybe the first time doing it, it, it hasn't messed with me at all or anything like that. Um uh yeah, it's it's definitely different than your whole life uh, cuz yeah, the offensive line's pretty much the only I mean other than quarterback there's a couple other but uh it's definitely one of the few positions that never rotates in the game um so yeah it it was kind of different at first but uh i've definitely gotten used to it at this point and it's been fun so we end every every guest that i have we end with some rapid fire questions
0: they're kind of all over the map a little bit uh and let's just uh, jump into it you you and Hannah, start traveling a little bit the last couple years what's your go-to travel tip
1: oh god don't be annoying at the airport that's probably the big one or on the plane that's like everybody's on edge in there. So you just want to just keep to yourself and be quiet, you know, and just o- obey whatever the staff is telling you. And that's probably the Is there thing. a travel
0: nightmare story that, that comes to <laughs>
1: mind? Because, I mean, that came up really quick. No, no, nothing, uh, nothing too specific. I just know that every time we travel together at the airport, it's just, it's, it's a little tough just because you're, you're dealing with all sorts of different people that uh, aren't very mindful of others, I think. <laughs> What's the who's the hardest player in the NFL to block? Oh God, I it's tough because I, I haven't played against all of them. But I think I think it, for interior guys, it's got to be Aaron Donald. I mean, uh, he's just he's just incredibly unique. He's so strong and quick and powerful, and he's also he's a lot smaller than what you think. So there's nothing really to put your hands on, and that's that's what we rely on as offensive linemen is getting your hands on a defender. Um, once you do that, then you can really control them. But uh, I think he does an incredible job of uh, just being explosive and using his hands well. And he, he's incredible at finishing and, and making sacks and tackles for loss once he gets there. So uh, I'd say he's probably the worst.
0: What's the worst piece of trash talk you've ever heard from an opponent? High school, college, NFL. Like what? Like where you're sitting like, that's your trash talk?
1: Oh, God. I don't even know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I, I Nobody really ever talks trash to me because I think they realize that I won't say anything to them. So I, I've never really dealt with any trash talk. I remember one time in college, I tried to trash talk somebody, and... The next play, I just got destroyed, and I realized that that was a sign from God that I should not do that anymore. So that was the one time that I had only done that. All I right. That.
0: What, what did you say? Like, what was your trash talk that clearly went so horribly <laughs> wrong?
1: I don't even really remember, but I'm sure it was just explicit words that I can't say. <laughs> and then the next play, I just remembered I got uh, my butt kicked, and I decided I'm not going to do that. Do you remember anymore. the opponent? Like, Yeah, have- we were playing Stanford and it was maybe my second start of my college career and i was like well you know maybe this is for me and then i realized it was not
0: i was say stanford of all people like they're like the really smart guys yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it was it was uncharacteristic <laughs> i don't think they were expecting it either <laughs> what's the best book you've ever read oh that's a tough one i i love uh dark matter that is that's probably my favorite book right now but i'm I just got into a new uh, series called The King Killer Chronicles, and I really have enjoyed the f- first book in that. But uh, I really enjoyed Dark Matter.
0: And lastly, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: I don't know. Probably every time I, every time I see my parents when I leave, my my dad just tells me to keep working hard and have some fun. And I think that's that's probably the toughest part. Is sometimes you. Uh, in everybody's life your job is hard but and you lose sight of like having fun in it and i think that's something that really sticks with me is whenever i see my dad he just tells me to try to have some fun and that gives me some light into you know football's it's tough at times but you know ultimately i got into this because i love it
0: and actually i take the back i have one more question so your instagram (laughs) handle is joe.hank.dale
1: yeah explain uh I don't know why I got I don't know why I made that um you know I I really I think my first year when I was living with uh Taylor and Graham I I thought it was hilarious that Taylor's name was Tyler Dexter on there so I wanted to come up with something that was similar to that and it's just really stuck. Fair
0: enough. (laughs) Hey Joe thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it hopefully it was a good time for you
1: and uh yeah. yeah uh, follow him on
0: follow him on instagram yeah
1: (laughs) joe (laughs) hangdell thank you so much thank you
0: we now welcome our next guest on the michael rothstein show espn raiders reporter paul gutierrez he is in the bay area he's covered the raiders for a few years before that he covered the 49ers he has the entire bay area blanketed and he's california native too growing up in barstow paul welcome to the show
2: Hey, Michael, thank you for having me here, man. It's a great opportunity to be on here to talk to you and talk some sports and, uh, you know, talk a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, so let's let's start here just because it's obviously in the news right now. There are fires in Northern California in Sonoma County. How close is that, A, to you guys? Is your family okay and, and all of that? But also, is it affecting the Raiders at all? Is this something that, as the week goes on, could actually be a concern for Sunday?
2: Yeah, you know, thanks for asking. And, and actually, we live in Petaluma. It's my wife's hometown, and we're about 20 miles south of where the main Kincaid fire is, and it's uh, affecting quality of life. There's a lot of people that have been evacuated, and Petaluma is one of the main evacuation cities. Uh, so there's a lot of people in town that, uh, you know, that are suffering, need supplies, uh, you know, you reach out, and you, you, there's evacuation centers all over town, um, so you, you help it that way that you can, and, and on top of that, there are these planned power outages by PG&E, the utility company here, that shut it down because windstorms come and they don't want to spark more fires, so you know, for us, it's more of a first world problem where, you know what, for this weekend, they, our house didn't have, we, we had power, but we didn't have internet, phone, or cable TV, so you kind of take the good with the bad, and you say, okay, well, we can deal with this. There's people that have been evacuated from their homes. Um, As far as the Raiders, it's interesting because this is the third straight year where there have been massive wildfires here um, that the air quality is so bad. For example, our kids, we just got a notice today that their school is going to be shut down. All the schools in Petaluma uh, here in Sonoma County are going to be shut down all week long because the air quality is so bad from the smoke. Um, Two years ago, there was massive fires in Santa Rosa, which is about 15 miles away. And the air quality was so bad that it went down into the smoke, went down into Oakland. And there were thoughts of the Raiders having to move that game um, back then. That, it hasn't gotten that bad yet, but it, I'm sure tomorrow everybody's going to keep checking the air quality and see if it's even a possibility for the Raiders and Lions to have to rethink this thing. Uh, they, were able to play, yeah, they were able to play through it two years ago. They did the same thing last year. Um, so we'll see tomorrow what, what uh, people are talking about regarding the air quality. Um, you know, from the Raider perspective, they haven't played at home since uh, the second week of the season in September. They're looking to, to just play a home game. Um, and, of course, their thoughts and prayers, obviously, are with the people displaced and uh, affected by this. But, uh, you know, it's, it's when the real world kind of creeps into the sports world.
0: So just to be clear, there's been no – from a football perspective, and obviously this is way more of a, a life thing. And, and yeah. I want to be very clear that that's the most important thing. But from a football perspective on Sunday, there hasn't been any conversations yet about having to maybe move or, or delay or, or anything like that.
2: Not to my knowledge, not to okay. my knowledge. And, 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 you know, again, just from my perspective here, the, the, the air quality of the smoke isn't as bad as it was, say, last year or two years ago. Um, but there's supposed to be another big windstorm tonight, and usually when that happens, it pushes all that air further south into Oakland, into the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco.
0: So I think both you and I will be monitoring that for multiple reasons all week. When we look at the Raiders, we saw the Raiders on hard knocks obviously, Antonio Brown happened. <laughs> yep. uh, what was that like covering that? Let's just really quickly start there before we get into actual football, because that was such a saga that took over, I don't know, all of March, July, and August.
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, that was interesting. Is from a personal perspective. I mean, it was a blessing and a curse, because I had never done so much TV <laughs> as I had <laughs> before, because when Antonio Brown shows up and says anything, well, SportsCenter wants him. There was one day, Michael, where I, did, I literally did 10 TV hits. Um, wow, that's and, a lot. And when it all, yeah, and when it came down to the end, when he asked for his release and got it, my top 10 stories that week garnered 9.6 million hits. That's Ooh. how much interest there was in this guy. And a lot of it was because, you know, everybody across the country could tune in and, and watch Hard Knocks. And covering a team that's on Hard Knocks, the first week or so, it was kind of a, it was kind of a pain because everything was kind of delayed. Uh, You know, Gruden wasn't going to come talk right away because he had some other something else that he had to do or or a player had to go do this thing over here that that hard knocks cameras had to catch. Um, But as time went on, you just kind of realized they weren't there for me personally. I mean, there were times when I was doing a uh, sports center hit in front of the facility and standing right next to me is MJ Acosta from the NFL Network. And I was more nervous doing, you know, doing the hit with hard knocks cameras on me. (laughs) doing it than just looking at my own camera because I'm like, oh boy, you know, and it's funny because more people are going to watch ESPN sports Center than HBO probably, but it was just, it, it kind of raised awareness a little bit more, and uh, you're right, the Antonio Brown saga, I mean, it was like this meteor that just flashed across the sky uh, because it was bright and then it was gone.
0: So how has this team changed for those who watch Hard Knocks? Obviously a much different team because Antonio Brown isn't there, but how has this team yeah. changed since Hard Knocks? As a
2: whole. Well, as as a whole, I think the personality is still there. It's still a team that, you know, you ask John Gruden, he'll always go back to the standard of look, we're still building our team. We're still getting our foundation. And there's a lot of young guys that are playing now. And and I think when you get into the X's and O's of it, I think they finally figured out now that, hey, they could whistle past the graveyard all they wanted, um, when Antonio Brown was cut and released. Because as I was told by people high up in the organization, look, it's not like he was ever here anyway. So what are we really missing other than that? third round draft pick in the fifth round draft pick they gave up for him um because he was never really part of the organization he would show up he'd do his practice and then he he split and he'd be gone and yet the flip side of that is this offense was built with antonio brown in mind um you know there's hardly very few if anybody in the nfl with his skill set so when you remove that from the game planning aspect of things um you know what do you do now so it's taken, what, seven games now plus the bye. The Raiders' offense is finally finding its identity minus Antonio Brown. And, and uh, you know, John Gruden's been scripting masterpieces uh, early in games. They just haven't been able to close things out defensively at the end. So they're a different team in that it, it, it's lacking this certain star power that Antonio Brown brought with him wherever he went. But it's also a different team because it's a kinder, gentler team because you don't have to deal with the madness that comes with him.
0: Now, looking at that offense, is Josh Jacobs really the thing that's helped this along and kind of gotten it going?
2: He, he's legit, and, but he'll be the first to tell you that it's the offensive line that's got it going because it's funny. They, they've got monsters up there, athletic monsters, big guys. Trent Brown is just a, the, the gentle giant, so to speak, at right tackle, but he's just uh, you know, using guys. I mean, he nullified Khalil Mack in London when they played. He nullified J.J. Watt before he went out with the season-ending injury Sunday. So he's just out there doing what he does. Uh, Derek Carr has not been sacked in four of their games. That's unheard of. This guy was sacked 51 times last year. And they're clearing these holes. Richie Incognito has been a revelation at left guard. You know, he's got a lot of baggage, and and deservedly so. But he's kept his nose clean, and he's been on his best behavior. And they're just clearing these holes for Jacobs. And when you see what he does, it's interesting, because he was never really truly that bell cow back at Alabama. He split time with a lot of guys – This guy never carried the ball more than 251 times in college. And now all of a sudden he's the man. And you just see this, this ability with him, his vision, uh, his cutback ability, how patient he is waiting for that zone blocking scheme to open up holes and boom, he's through them. He's not your, your Chris Johnson, you know, breakaway speed kind of a guy, but there's a little bit of LaDainian Tomlinson in there, um, you know, in the very, very infancy, the stages of that. So he's, He's been more than I think a lot of fans thought he might be at this point, And the Raiders will take that all day long.
0: Kind of flipping sides of the ball, there are a few former Lions on this team. Notably Tahir Whitehead, Nevin Lawson. Obviously, Nevin was suspended for the first four games of the year. How have they acclimated to what Oakland's trying to do defensively? How have they played this year? Are, are Lions fans going to see a lot of both of them on Sunday? Uh,
2: you know, with Nevin, it's interesting because, like you said, he did miss the first four games, so he's still getting his – wind about him getting into the the uh, the scheme so to speak um on the defensive side of the ball because you know the Raiders did just trade Gary on Conley who was a first round pick and a cornerback but but they did that so that Trayvon Mullen a second round pick from Clemson last year could get the run there as a starter Nevin is going to get a lot of reps whenever either Worley Daryl Worley or Trayvon Mullen need a need a, a breather um, you know LaMarcus Joyner is the slot corner, so, Not a lot of Nevin Lawson yet. Tierra Whitehead, on the other hand, I mean, he's a team captain. And when Vontez Perfect got suspended, um, he kind of became the – he's the green dot, you know. And it's funny because I talked to him about it, and he told me straight up because, you know, that's the thing that people don't understand. Everybody's asking me, what's it like to wear the green dot? man, i have done been wearing the green dot my whole career, except for two years. And you know, I I mean, he's great. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He's like yeah. a philosopher slash uh, poet, you know, and, and he just brings it. He he keeps it, uh, he keeps it real. So, you know, this is a guy that did not, if I'm not mistaken, man, I, I believe he played every single snap last season, but you know, he's playing middle linebacker. He's playing outside. The Raiders play a four, three base, but really the base is, is kind of uh, the nickel anyway, because of how other teams are lining up. But, uh, you're going to see a lot of Tier Whitehead, Nevin Lawson. You're going to see in in uh, sparing bunches.
0: Uh, one thing, one other thing to tell you, I mean, has he obviously it's early in the week. Has he talked much about facing Detroit? He saw them clearly last year during the preseason, but this is a little yeah. bit different. Uh, I'm assuming he hasn't talked about any of that yet.
2: He has not. Uh, he wasn't in the locker room yesterday, and they're off today. So tomorrow, I'm sure, is going to be the big uh, tier Whitehead facing the Lions Day, as well as the Raiders re-signed Brandon Marshall today because they're so thin at, at uh, linebacker. And Brandon Marshall was, you know, if you watch Hard Knocks, he was the most surprising cut at the time because this guy was running with the ones all offseason, and then they cut him. So uh, he's back to, to help him out. And, and, and I will mention this too, is that Gruden, John Gruden, did say yesterday that Tire came out of that game a little nicked up. I saw him after the game. He didn't look any worse for the wear. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of hard for the course with the, the Raider defense. Just so many guys hurt, suspended. Uh, you know, Vontez Burfict—it's just done for the year. So they, you know, the only other true middle linebacker they had on the roster—he's done now with a, with a knee injury. Justin Phillips. So um, it's kind of patchwork and scotch tape and masking tape and duct tape all together.
0: Which, yet surprisingly, they've been pretty good against the run this year. Uh, is that because they're that good, or does that have more to do with maybe a shaky pass defense and teams just kind of, you know? Throwing.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and I guess my answer to that is yes. <laughs> I it's <guess> a little <laughs> bit of all of it because because you're right. I mean, once it's and that and it's funny, like I go back, I I've covered this team in one way or the other since two thousand five. And um two thousand six they they kind of stuck their chest out and said, Look, we had one of the best run defenses in the in the NFL. I was like, Well, that's because teams jumped out the huge leads against you and simply just ran the clock out, you know? So it's it's not that bad, but they have been pretty stout against the run. They do have a nice rotation up front uh, at defensive tackle. Um, you know, Cleland uh, Farrell, the uh, number four overall draft pick, he hasn't really given much stats, so to speak. But they've been playing him all over the place. There's times when he's lined up over D tackle. This Arden Key, you know, a fifth round pick last year from LSU, they had him lined up over the center a couple of times. So they're doing a lot of funky things. Uh, up front that are helping them uh, against the run. Um, but, again, a lot of that is because teams are, you know, they, they, they're not able to, to run as much because why would they need to if they're able to just torch the secondary? And that's not to say that's happened every game, but it's kind of the yin and yang of things on the defense right now.
0: And lastly, at least from a football perspective, Oakland, known as a place for crazy fans, black hole. What's mm-hmm. it been like this year? Because this is it you know last time they're gonna be here at least maybe in, unless the Dave mark davis has changed his mind in 10-15 years what's it been like versus other years is it still the same place or is it subdued because everyone knows kind of this is it
2: well you know because of this strange road trip they haven't been here since september 15th so i couldn't tell you what it's like now but i will say <laughs> that there is a a bittersweet feeling to this whole thing because, of course, a fan is a fan is a fan. They're going to root for their team, and, and there is no place. You know, I've been to every – honestly, man, I've been to every stadium in the NFL except for Detroit, Philadelphia, and the new Atlanta uh, stadium, and I've never seen anything like with what happens at, at the Coliseum. That's not a negative. That's not a positive. That's just an observation. And uh, they're still there. They're still doing their things. They're still dressing up like it's Halloween every Sunday during the season, and that's cool. Um, but there is – a bittersweet feeling to it because this is the second time that the team is leaving them. They went to LA from 82 to 94 and now they're leaving what should be for good unless, and it's not about Mark Davis changing his mind, so to speak, unless that stadium in Vegas uh, has a setback because then they could come back next year. They have that option in their lease to come back and for $10 million play at the Coliseum one more last time again Uh, because last year on Christmas, Christmas Eve, they played a a primetime game against the Broncos. And at that point, everybody thought that was the last game uh, at the Oakland Coliseum. So, you know, once once you guys, are the Lions are here and, and you'll get a sense of what it's like. I mean, it's just a different atmosphere. And um, I think they're really fired up because even though they're three and four and they let a very winnable game get away from them in Houston last week, they got three straight home games. They could control their own destiny, so to speak, going forward. And they could run off a couple of wins here. They're right back in the mix.
0: Absolutely. And so... Last thing we do with every guest we have, we do a quick bunch of rapid fire questions. Generally have nothing to do with football. Uh, <laughs> if you're game, uh, let's go for it. Uh, I'm, game. So you, I'm game. All right. You're a big boxing martial arts guy. Uh, it's one of the things that, that you and I bond over. Best overall fighter of all time.
2: Overall fighter, pound for pound? Yeah. Boxing or martial Bruce, arts? Uh, I'm going to say Bruce Lee. And I know he was, people see him and just say that he was just a martial artist, but he was the baddest little man on the planet at the time. And, um, you know, I'm just going to go with him, not only for what he's able to do, uh, but pound for pound. I'm going Bruce Lee for the speed, the accuracy, the power that he showed.
0: You're a Barstow native. What's the place to go eat in Barstow?
2: Del Taco. I'm not even going to hesitate on that. Del Taco is the spot. And I know people can say, what? Del Taco, it's a chain. I'm like, yeah, well, Barstow is the birthplace of Del Taco. And believe you me when I say they, there's a different menu there uh, it's the same menu, but the ingredients are different. There's just something more to it. It's funny. I look back at my high school yearbooks, man, and we see all of us with in our candid photos and we're all holding Del Taco cups back in the eighties. And it was like that growing up. I mean, my, my parents grew up when the first Del Taco opened in Barstow. So that is the spot.
0: Uh, I mean, as someone who lived in the high desert for a year in Victorville, that was where I went all the time. (laughs) It was uh, there and in and out, man. Do you have a pregame routine?
2: Do you have a pregame routine?
0: Yeah. Like, do you, is there anything you have to do pregame? Um,
2: when I'm at the game, you know what I usually do is I do take a walk around the, the, the stadium. I always take a walk around the stadium to see if there's anything interesting going on with the fans. Uh, and I always got to go pay my respects to the, to the fans in the black hole because that's where the super fans sit. Gorilla Rilla is my guy, so I got to go over there and get, get my love from Gorilla Rilla.
0: <laughs> tougher to cover, baseball or football? Because you've covered some baseball in your past too. <sighs>
2: yeah, you know, it's – define tougher. Because I think baseball is tougher because it's more of a grind and it's a longer day. But to me, football is tougher because there's so many storylines that it's hard to just boil it down to one big thing. Obviously, you know, the bigger storylines in football are going to present themselves. I mean, there's a last-second field goal to win the game or somebody had a record doing this. But, I mean, you know, you could break down any play, any quarter, and you could write a story out of it if, if uh, you, you seem fit to do. Baseball, it pretty much just presents itself. But it's, a, it's more of a grind.
0: And lastly, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but you're also a martial artist yourself. What's your seminal sports moment?
2: You mean that I've covered, or that I've seen, or or that you part
0: participated of? in? Whatever you want to go with.
2: It's <laughs> open ended for a question, for a reason. Open ended. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna go. Hmm. I'm giving yeah, you a convinced. chance to flaunt about yourself here, man. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know, there's so many moments I'm trying to boil it down. No. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was cool when I worked at Sports Illustrated and we won the New York Press City League Championship in the, in Heckscher Fields in, in Central Park, and we got our picture, team picture in an issue of SI back in the summer of 95. That was cool. Another time was being cool hitting a walk-off home run uh, in Barstow for a softball tournament where we had to win four games in one day to win it. That was awesome. But I think just being able to compete in martial arts uh, and work out with not only my dad, but my brother as well and go to tournaments together. And there's not one specific moment, I guess, but it's just the whole thing just probably means the most to me because you know martial arts is not just something you do. It's a way of life. And uh, to be able to do that and share that with my dad and my brother. And at this point now, I'm teaching my daughter and my son a little bit in, in the garage uh, with some of their friends. So it's it's one of those things where you just... It's not a moment per se, but it's a snapshot of life.
0: Sorry, I got one more question. I lied. Do you have, like, <laughs> your, do you have, do you have your trophies anywhere? Like, because I think you have a few, right? If I, uh, if I remember usually I
2: correctly. Usually when I win them, I, I donate them back to my dad's school so that he can recycle them or just put them in his school because he still teaches in Barstow. Um, I do have one that I just kind of put up and it's got like the karate dude up on top is broken off. So I put it up because it's kind of ghetto, but I dig it. what did you win that for that was for fighting uh in barstow i came out of retirement uh two years ago so to speak um you know my my son he didn't want to do a spring sport i'm like okay well here's what we're going to do you and i are going to train in the garage we're both going to go to grandpa's karate tournament in barstow and we're both going to compete so that's the deal we made He, he you know first time ever he he took third place in forms and third place in fighting and i went out there and i took grand champ in forms but then uh in fighting i took third but I was gassed. I mean, I hadn't competed in <laughs> fighting in a long time. And my dad pulled me aside. And he's like, Mijo, you do realize that you're out there fighting a bunch of 21 year olds. i was like, no doubt. So <laughs> that's when it kind of clicked. I'm like, you know what? Shoot. I'm going to be 50 in March. And uh, you know, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And by the way, just so everyone else knows, you are the ESPN NFL Nation beat reporter that no one is going to mess with when we have our (laughs) summits. Like, I I walk out, you and I will generally work out near each other. We seem to be on the same workout schedule in in beautiful Bristol. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I look over and I'm like, well, all right. Like, not that I want to fight anybody ever. I'm a pacifist, the whole deal. But I'm like, I'm never going to mess with you because I'm pretty sure you know like 17
2: ways to kill me. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, you know, and Domofsky tried to throw a lime at me that one day, so I had to show a little <laughs> reflexes that day.
0: Hey, Paul, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll see you this weekend. And most importantly, I hope you and your family and, and everybody else is safe out in Northern California.
2: I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you behave, man, maybe I'll take you to the black hole on Sunday. We'll see.
0: Um, kind of scary. <laughs> Once again, want to thank Paul, and we'll be back right after this break regents field ann arbor's true sports bar at 204 main street in ann arbor michigan come on by to enjoy some great food including some gluten-free options drink specials and check out free ski ball and darts as well you can also record a podcast of your very own here too check out regentsfield.com or find them on facebook instagram and twitter at regentsfield now back to our show as always, with our last segment of the day, we take questions from you, the listener. You can ask questions by using the hashtag Rothshow on Twitter or Instagram, I guess. Or you can email me at MichaelRothstein, the letter D and the letter M, at gmail.com. Now to this week's questions. Mark McIntosh, which is at Mark McIntosh on Twitter, asks, Any clue why the Lions don't want Ty Johnson taking a lead back role? I think it's still early for that as Daryl Bevel figures everything out on the Lions offense now that on Johnson's out. Last week, they seemed to be going with a little bit of everybody. And to me, at least, it felt like at least the start of last season when Detroit was feeling out carry on Johnson. They want and need Ty Johnson to be healthy the rest of the year. So part of this might be management as he continues to take on more of the workload and get more used to the offense. I actually talked to him a little bit last week about that, and he said he's studying even more. This is Ty Johnson. So he's clearly getting used to this, too. Even though it didn't show against the Giants, who have a better run defense than you might think, I think you'll see more from Ty Johnson as the season progresses, and I still have faith that he is going to be a pretty good back. Maybe not this week, since the Raiders have a top 10 run defense, and as you heard Paul talk about, a not-so-great pass defense, but it's going to be something to watch going forward. Ty Johnson has lead back potential. And our second question comes from 4 MJ Thoughts 20 That's both his name and his Twitter handle. And he asks, do I think Bill Belichick tries to turn this Lions franchise around before he retires at 75 if it's not already turned around by then? Well, no. Uh, Yeah, Bill Bill Belichick is now saying he's not necessarily hanging it up by age 70, which is, I think, where this question comes from. But I don't see him returning to the Lions, no matter how much of an affinity he has for the organization. And that's something that he's shown in the past pretty much any time he's played the Lions or when he was here earlier this year for training camp. Two of of his protégés are here now, and they're building a system in his image. For him to come in before he retires means this regime fails, and I just don't know if I see that happening or if I see him coming in after that because of the relationships he has with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. Also, and this is the most important thing, I just don't see him leaving New England anytime soon at all. He built a dynasty there. Why start over in the Midwest? It just wouldn't make sense to me. And that's about it. You can read my reporting guest tonight, Paul Gutierrez, on ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at PGutierrezESPN. You can follow my other guest, Joe Dahl, on Instagram, as he talked about before, at joe.hank.dale. You can read me at ESPN.com and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Mike Rothstein. On Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And you can check out my travel blog, complete with gluten-free suggestions in every city at michaelrothstein.net i should have a post about bangkok thailand up later this week and there's a post about philadelphia that went up a few days ago thanks to regent's field for hosting this podcast come on by to enjoy some great food including some gluten-free options drink specials and check out the free ski ball and darts as well you can also record of your podcast of your very own here check out regent's field or find them on facebook instagram and twitter at regent's field That's episode four. Thanks to my producer, Matt Leach. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, give us a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you choose to listen to our podcast. Tell your friends. I would love your feedback as we continue to grow this show. See you next week.